Welcome to The Network, our attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. If you don't know anything about the Green Book, I invite you to Google it. With each interview, we are building a network of talented professionals that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is an invaluable resource for black people living in and traveling through America. Subscribe to The Network. You may need it. All right, here we go. Today's guest is educational consultant Corey D. Crampton. Corey, welcome to the network. Go ahead Thank and introduce you. yourself and tell us where we can find you. Okay, again, my name is Corey D. D for Deanne Crampton. I can be found um, at www.fromdusttorainbows.com. I can also be found on Facebook with From Dust to Rainbows. I can be found on Instagram from dust to rainbows i can be found on twitter with Corey d crampton that's k-o-r-i d crampton all right so now you know where to find Corey d a and crampton one of my favorite people in the world so Corey, let's let's jump right into this what i want you to do is weave your journey for us our lives are these tapestries so I want you to tell us how you got from where you from where you started to where you are now. Um, from where I started, I began as an athlete um, in high school and in college. And honestly, that was the beginning of my journey. Unbeknownst to me, that was the beginning of From Dust to Rainbow's journey. Um, being an athlete and then leaving college as a college athlete and entering into the workforce as I started off as a PE coach <clears throat> and coaching then turned into teaching, teaching in the classroom, teaching then turned into um, leadership and that leadership then spiraled into from dust to rainbows. So, my journey was unknown to me until From Dust to Rainbows happened. And then I saw, I could see in my mind from beginning to end, how God transitioned and used that whole journey to place me where I am now. Okay. Okay. So what is From Dust to Rainbows? What is that? So the name came from, um, in doing my research and my studies, you know, I always pondered what, what would be a good name? What would be a good name for um, this coaching cycle or this coaching tool? And um, I began reading in my studies and I ran across this poem by Langston Hughes that reads, uh, Oh God of dust and rainbows, help us to see that without dust, the rainbow would not be. And so that then made me look into, well, how are rainbows actually formed? What does he mean, dust? What is he talking about? So in my research, I also learned that rainbows, we've always been told that, you know, if there's a, a, a hard storm and the sun is out, that it produces a rainbow. God gives us a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my research, I found that it's not only just the rain and the sun. It's the dust that's in the atmosphere that makes 
the rainbow visible to the human eye. So that connected to what I wanted my, um, my practice to be about, you know, not us, us only not looking at children from the perspective of, oh, these are bad kids, but let's look and see past that dust to see what rainbows lie underneath all of that, the trauma and the turmoil that they've gone through. What are the rainbows on the other side of that dust that we have to see with our eyes in order to make them see for themselves? Okay. So how you're an educational consultant. If I'm in education, mm -hmm. how do I see through the dust to the rainbow? How does that happen? What, what, what does that look like? What is that process? First, you have to see your own. You have to see your own rainbows. And there are a lot of adults who don't honestly see um, or can't or haven't been able to see past their own dust, you know, to, to see the brighter side of themselves and what they actually bring to education. Some of them are in education just because. So the first step is connection. Connection with yourself, understanding of yourself, forgiveness from, of yourself and from others um, in order to build that and build a relationship with the student in order for them to get that same message across to themselves. Okay. You know, to get that message to the students. So that there is... Let me, let me jump in just real quick. Uh -huh. So you mentioned we have to see our own dust. What are, what are some things, when you say dust, what, what exactly are we talking about when you say dust? Um, we're talking about accept, seeing and accepting our own trauma, okay. um, seeing and accepting the, seeing and accepting the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, I guess the, the lens in which we see the world and other people mm -hmm. and sometimes our lenses need to be wiped off a little bit. You know, sometimes our views and our visions are distorted based on our experiences though, you know, based on our, our experiences and our, and, or that our lack thereof. Cause some of us haven't experienced um, some of the, some of the, the, I guess I would say the, the bad things or the, the hurtful things that other people have experienced. And so we don't, we can't connect with them in that manner. So a lot of us have dust on our lenses. What led you to decide to become a certified life coach? But even more than that, what I'm really interested in hearing about is becoming a certified trauma practitioner for education. That's brand new, right? That is brand new. That is not something that you hear every day. What is a certified trauma practitioner specifically for education? Okay, so um, let's make this distinction really quickly. I am not a licensed therapist. That is not what I am. Um, what I am is an alternative to a licensed therapist because there aren't enough teachers, there aren't enough, well, there aren't enough counselors. There are a lot of teachers. We don't have enough teachers, but there are a lot of teachers, there aren't enough counselors in the world to deal with what our students are dealing with. And um, I feel like educators have to play a bigger role in, in education. You know, education is just not about curriculum anymore. It can't be. It can't be about just curriculum because if we can't 
reach our students and understand our students and where they come from, where what they've dealt with, then we can't teach them. If you can't reach them, you can't teach them. Right. That's what they. Yeah. So um, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I am someone who has done the work and some of the studies of um, what it means to be traumatized and live in a life of trauma and understand what stress does to the brain and how it's felt through the body and things of that nature. So I'm able to be that other, that other tool and resource that can be used as opposed to a therapist. Um, and my goal is to reach educators. That's, that's the basic and main goal is to reach educators and give them the tools needed in order for them to reach their kids on a different level so that their kids can be understood. And when educators understand children and what they've gone through and how their brain works as far as trauma is concerned, it gives them a leg in to building those relationships with those students. Healthy relationships create um, more stability in the future for children. Okay, so I'm guessing that Mm. you are working with kids that have experienced a certain degree of trauma. Yeah. So the the good thing, I think, I think, I think the good thing about myself is that um, I'm still in the education. I'm still in the class. I don't, I have not left the classroom. I left the classroom for one year and I was miserable. So after that one year, I went back to the classroom. I've been in the um, education for, this is my 16th year I'm going into either 16 or 17. I can't, I lost, I've lost count, but um, yeah. So I'm not just, one of the these practitioners out here, you know, I used to be in the classroom or it's been X, Y, and Z years since I've been in the classroom. No, I'm still in the classroom. I'm still teaching. I'm still building relationships and practicing the art of building relationships with my students. So I'm on the front lines just with everyone else, you know. So I'm able to give that fresh perspective on a regular basis because I'm still in the battlefield with everybody else in education. Good. So I'm, I'm going to read this from your questionnaire. I, I got a bunch of things highlighted in here, but this was, I thought this hit hard. You said the idea of dust to rainbows was birthed during the Trump initiated ICE raids and the creation of the immigration border camps. My yes. thought when watching the stories on the news was, I teach the kids that are dealing with this. What can I do to help my kids that are living in this live through and beyond this. That one thought in question began to drive my research and studies. And then you said, as you continue to grow in knowledge and magnitude of what was, what is, and what is to be, it began to spiral. And then there is a list of things in that spiral. Talk about the things that are in that spiral. Yeah, so my my journey, as you stated, it began with the ice raids. I have always taught. I have always taught in the um, the schools that needed the most help. You know, I've always taught in the schools that needed the most help. And uh, when the ice raids began, I could see the change in some of the kids that I was teaching because they didn't know if they were going to go back home to parents. You know, they, they they're at school, but they can't focus because of all the stuff that they're seeing on the news. Um, so that birthed 
the idea from Dust to Rainbows. And then I began to think about my own trauma. When I was growing up, I didn't realize what was going on at the time, but when I became old enough to understand, I'm like, Lord, this is a lot in my own life. So then I went to, and I moved to New Orleans, taught in New Orleans. And when I saw what the kids have to see on a daily basis in their homes, not even, sometimes not even in their homes, on the streets, I saw drug deals. I saw prostitution and kids walking to school in the middle of all of that, like it's normal. That's kind of traumatic. Yeah. yeah so then I started thinking about kids at home with parents who are going through a divorce. They can't focus in the classroom because now they've heard all this arguing in the evening, right before it's time for them to go to bed or while they're sleeping. Um, parents who may have some problems with uh, domestic abuse in the house and kids have to see that. Now they can't focus in school because they see that. Um, parents or loved ones coming home from being incarcerated that changes the dynamic of the house or someone going to jail <laughs> that changes the dynamic of the house that sometimes it changes the role of the child in the house. Now they have to go find a job because now you have to help pay bills at home, you know? So it, the list goes on, the list goes on and on and on and on anything that we've grown up with. Um, when we were kids, Persian, it's magnified by at least, I'm say five, 10 times with the kids now and what they're dealing with now. And now we're going to add on, let's, let's top it off, top all that off. Let's top it off with what now we can't go to school and see our friends and have our social lives because of COVID. Now let's top COVID off with social unrest and us seeing all of this in, in the news and on social media of what's going on with cops and, how the president is sending in his troops to to handle quote unquote handle social unrest you know it's so it's a lot it's a lot on these kids minds at such a young age they are young and they're having to try to compute and think about and understand all of this and they they don't they really don't it's it is a lot it is a Mm -hmm. lot and hopefully people who are listening start to understand what kids are dealing with and not only kids, but the people who have to educate those kids. Yeah. The, the huge task. And from an edu- educator standpoint, I think we understand that kids need school. Oh, absolutely. We understand that they need school. We understand that school can be a very, very healthy place for young people. Especially when, I mean, these are some of the things that you mentioned. Drugs, trauma, prostitution, trauma, divorce, trauma, domestic abuse, trauma, parent coming home from incarceration, trauma. There's some other things on this list that I'm going to mention. Abuse, trauma, bullying, social media, neglect, racism, loss, um, homelessness. A lot of people have no idea that there are kids who are homeless. There are kids who are homeless, but they're coming to school every day. Abandonment, et cetera. All of these things fall under the list of trauma. And then you mentioned that on top of all of those things, top it off with coronavirus, 
and civil unrest. That that's a lot. That's a lot. I I don't. I hope I hope people understand after listening to this about that five to ten time magnification of what kids are dealing with today. Enjoying this episode so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, or Pocket Casts. Now back to the show. Another thing you mentioned is you said education will need to look and sound different when we begin to physically return to the classroom. I want you to paint a picture of us, of what that should look, of what this classroom should look and sound like, first for kids, and then you mentioned that you really want to reach educators. So first for kids, and then secondly, for educators. Okay, um, John Dewey had a quote that said, if we teach today's students as we taught yesterday's, we rob them of tomorrow. If we teach today's students as we taught yesterday's, we rob them of tomorrow. So this year, this coming school year, it can't look or sound anything like last school year. And last school was school year was just right around the corner. Mm-hmm. But it cannot look or sound like last school year, even virtually. Um, and it's going to be more difficult, I think, for teachers to build those connections and relationships with students virtually, but it's not possible. The reason I know it's not impossible is because of dating websites. People always get on these dating websites and they, they claim to find these connections and these mates and they love one another. And we've seen people actually get married and marriages last via virtual dating websites. So connection possible. It may be more difficult, but it's possible. Okay. Um, so for the student, for the student, the it will look different in that the educator allows time for conversation the conversations must be had and the conversations are going to be difficult so a lot of educators are going to want to run from it they're going to want to run from the conversation but you can't run from the conversation what they have to start doing now before school starts is equipping themselves with the tools needed in order to hold the conversations that are needed. Um, The kids got, they have to get it off of them. Some of their parents, some of them live in a household, not all, but some live in households where they're not being allowed to voice their opinions, you know, because their opinions may not line up with their parents. So the parents don't want to hear it. And then some of them, some students, you know, when we were in class, I mean, when we were in, um, at home and there were adults talking in the house. You don't come in if you're a child, you stay in the child's place. That's right. You don't come in and, and, and interrupt an, an adult conversation to give your two cents. No, you stay in the child's place. So some of them have not been able to verbalize what they feel about this. And school is supposed to be a space in which they learn, keyword, they learn how to communicate. Mm-hmm. So the conversations must happen, but they must happen in a healthy manner as well. Um, They must happen in which uh, the person that is speaking is actually listened to. The conversation um, and what's being said should, there should be 
an active conversation. So you building on thoughts. You know, there just isn't one thought and somebody giving them one thought, but the thoughts are being built upon. Okay. And then last but not least, um, there should be a sense of respect. You know, a sense of respect in the 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 responses that are given in return to whatever's being said, um, the connections that are made in response to what's being said, there should just be a level of respect. So once the teachers implement those things and conversation begins to flow, it's going to take practice. Nothing happens overnight. So it's going to take practice for the teachers to, they have to happen on a regular basis. It can't just be a one-time thing and then it's shut off. We're not having these conversations anymore. No, the conversations have to keep be ongoing. Like, like I just said, you have to build upon the conversation. Yeah. So that's for the student okay. and for the teacher. They just have, that's going to be a learning curve. That's going to be a learning curve. And think about it. If you're having these conversations, if you're having the conversations that's making them think, that's making them make connections, how better is that going to, how more is that going to help their writing? You know, because now I can say, um, I can, I can put quotes in my writing from what someone else has said, from thoughts of other people. I can put my ideas and what I have in my head, I can put it down on paper now because I'm having these conversations and I'm able to hear other people's perspectives. I'm able to change my mind, maybe based on someone else's perspective. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So if, if I'm in a classroom and kids are sharing difficult things, not if I'm in a classroom, because I'm going to be in a classroom, I'm in education mm -hmm. as well. But if I'm a teacher who's in a classroom and these difficult conversations are happening and I don't know how to respond, can you mm -hmm. give me one or two examples of something that I can say or do if I'm not sure? Educators are lifelong learners. Lifelong learners mean like mean that you don't have the answer to everything. You won't have the answer to everything. So be honest. We aren't, we are superheroes, <laughs> but yeah. we don't, there are some powers that we don't have and we, we, we don't encompass as human beings, you know? So um, to say that we know we're all knowing is unfair. It's unfair to you. It's unfair to your students. Be honest. Be transparent. Listen, I've never had that experience, so I really don't know is a good answer. I really don't know. But what I can do is I can go and I can look it up. What I can do is I can hold a conversation with someone else and see their perspective and come back and give you a different perspective. What I can do is care about your feelings enough to... Um, look into it a little deeper, you know, outside of myself. So that's great advice. Be honest. So if you're an educator and you needed some help, Corey just gave you some great advice on things you can do if you're not comfortable in those situations. If you need some more information, go check out her blog. I'm not going to tell you what's there. You got to go and check it out for yourself, but it's definitely going to help you get ready for school. So good. So let's talk about the, the next thing on the agenda. 
Mm. Tell us what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night is, I would say, um, man, just just getting the message out, really. That's it. Just Just getting the message out and hoping districts and schools are are seeing what's needed beyond COVID, you know? Um, because yes, I'm focused on educators, focusing on educators in order to focus on students, but the educators are feeling overwhelmed themselves. So if they have the tools, if they have the tools to help the kids, more than likely it's gonna to be tools to help them as well, mm-hmm. to help themselves. Um, it's a lot, you know, what we're going through now, it's a lot. And, and, and I think people need to be okay with yeah. knowing, understanding, and then just saying that, just say it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot. This is, this is, this is stressful. This is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So, um, I'm gonna do this plug right quick. Uh, because there is a district that has reached out to me here in Houston, um, Southwest Schools. It's important to know that you have districts that care enough about their employees to have something like this in place. So a big shout out to Southwest Schools for reaching out and um, just holding a consultation in general about getting a program into the schools with their teachers in order to help their teachers um, and in turn help their students. No, that's that's good because it's important that we have educators who understand the the different and diverse cultural backgrounds of the kids because we have yeah. to make sure that we're helping more than we're hurting our kids. One thing mm-hmm. you mentioned, you said the African American and Latino educational structure isn't for everyone. Yeah, it's not. It's not because our kids, um, culturally, kids are different, period. White kids are different than black kids. Black kids are different than Latinos. Latinos are, um, they have differences from Asians and, um, you know, just, just all over the globe. Everyone's different in culture. Mm -hmm. So educating and connecting with our kids can be a little different if like you said they have that gauge they can gauge whether or not you you are truly uh, a teacher who cares they can gauge it and some teachers come into the classroom if they go into an urban class and they try to be savior no they don't need a savior that's not what they need African-Americans and Latinos, they don't need a savior. No, they need someone who's going to educate them um, and give them the knowledge they're going to need that's going to help them in the future. That's it. Don't come in trying to save. We don't need saviors. That's good. That's... We don't need saviors. So the more genuine, the more genuine um, an educator is, doesn't matter what the race is. You know, if you come in and you're genuine, you don't try to act outside of yourself, be yourself, be honest, then 
that's what we need in our education systems with our urban kids, with our black kids and our Latino kids. You know, I've seen, I've seen, um, I have some friends, some white educated friends that are able to connect with our black kids and our Latino kids. And then I've seen some who crashed and burned. Yeah. You know, you just have to, I think you have to come in with a certain mind frame and mindset. You, you said the word genuine. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are genuine, you, you, can, you can work just about anywhere if you're genuine. Yep, you know, I agree. If you understand the cultural differences, then being genuine in this setting and that setting may look a little different, but you're going to be accepted in both. And right. what being accepted looks like in one setting may look may completely look like right in a different you know, setting. Absolutely. Genuine and recognize those things. There's one other thing I really, really want to talk about. It's from your blog. I told everybody to go and read it, but this was so rich. I really want to talk about it. You wrote about pre-traumatic stress. Yes. Yes. And you said this is stress from the anticipation. And this is for educators, pre-traumatic stress and the educator. This is stress from the anticipation of waiting to see what happens when we are forced back into the classroom. And you said that your hope is to derail some of educators' current worries and help us to reach a point of peace. How? How do we do that? How are you helping us derail <laughs> this pre-traumatic stress? Because it's, it's out there. Yeah, like, it's out It's a lot. Yeah. So when I, when I was writing a blog and I was um, doing my research about pre-traumatic stress, the first person that popped into my mind actually was my mom. She is probably the queen of pre-traumatic stress (laughs) because just the thought of something happening to us, her children, Mm -hmm. gets into a stress, a a different level of stress than she was already feeling. So pre-traumatic stress is is stress from the anticipation of what could happen. Anxiety. That's it. Yeah. It's the thought. It's the thoughts in your mind about what could happen, not what has happened to you, because it hasn't happened to you. It may have happened to other people. You may have like the facts and you have the statistics about what has happened to other people, but it hasn't happened to you yet. Mm-hmm. And it may not happen, but the stress of thinking, what if it happens? That, that is pre-traumatic stress. So to curtail that, um, yeah, feel the anxiety which is what I say in the blog, feel it, allow you, anxiety is okay. That's our brains letting us know, oh, something is wrong. Something may not happen right. But just like you, you let yourself go into that dark space about what could happen. We also have to give ourselves the alternative, allow our minds the alternative to know that, oh, this bad thing could happen, but, but we also have this other side, this good that could happen. I probably won't get sick, you know, going back into the classroom. Um, we, our kids could come back and we could give them that love that they've been missing from us, you know, on the other side. Yeah. They're going to come back with a whole lot of needs, you know, and so fulfilling those needs and, and pouring ourselves back into our kids, that's going to be a lot. It's going to be a, a, a heavy weight. But on the other side of that heavy weight, imagine their smiles. Imagine the love that they're going to 
you know, receive from us yeah. when they return back to the school. Imagine them walking into your classroom. They don't even know who you are because it's the first day. Right. Imagine them seeing your face on video. They don't know who you are. But after seeing your face on video and then coming back into the classroom and seeing you in person. So you have to give yourself the alternative. Think about the good and think about what, how do you feel when you feel that good? Like just me talking about that, talking about how my kids could possibly come back to the school and in the classroom and I see their faces light up in person for the first time. It gives me a such a satisfaction that's such a feeling of satisfaction you know on the opposite side of that that weight which one do you want more you want the weight or you want you want to feel good about what's, what could happen yeah yeah you know yeah so it again you say this a lot but there are ways for us to cope absolutely there are ways for us to cope so make sure you go and check out her blog good 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 stuff there for you because teachers listen i know trust me because i experience it daily daily all right let's jump into the next phase tell us what are you reading right now or do you have any recommended books um currently i'm reading a book called not like not light but fire by matthew rk um it's a good read I think it's a bit wordy, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I'm going to say it. It's a bit wordy. And um, I think a lot of the points that he's making are very good. And one of the points that he's made is about the notion of a safe space. You know, we as educators, we like to build this magical, this magical space called the safe space. The school is the safe space, but, you have to you have to reach um i think a point of defining what safe means to everyone safety and the feeling of safety is subjective you know it it's, it doesn't mean the same for everybody it doesn't just like trauma trauma is not the same for everybody because trauma is an experience and the experience for example, this experience of COVID, is, it may be different from me than it is from somebody else. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's any less trauma, traumatic um, for me than it has been for the other person. You know? So it's the same with safety. Um, we, have to, we have to move beyond what is considered safety and our magical space of safety in the classroom because it's not safe for everyone and not just because of bullies it just doesn't feel safe for instance for some of the um, latino kids that i teach in class they may come into class initially and they don't feel safe not because they don't know anyone in the classroom not because they've had an experience of bullying from somebody in the classroom not because they're thinking about somebody coming up shooting in the classroom no they don't feel safe because what if I get called out, you know, mm. what if, and then they go into a shell. What if I get called out to read out loud and I really am not a good reader when it comes to reading in English mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that takes away their comfort and their feeling of safety. Yeah. 
So I think um, it's a good book and it talks about that, the notion of safety and what is and, and what safety is for people. And I thought that was a good point. You know, safety doesn't have the same definition. It's defined in the, de- in the dictionary as one big definition, but it doesn't have the same definition for everybody. Okay, good. That's good. Safety is subjective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are you listening to? What are you listening to right now? You recommended music? Yeah, I'm listening to a bunch of stuff. My favorite right now, though, like, I have it on repeat, uh, Nice by the Carters. It just kind of pumped me up. Okay. That's my go-to song for my, for my pump-up session. And then um, Donnie McClurkin, Old School Donnie. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Speak, speak to my heart. So before I do any of my research or I, I do any sitting down to write or anything like that, I play that song. Stealing it. I'm just letting you know right now I'm stealing. <laughs> That's fine. I, like that. I play that. I play that because I need I need to hear, you know, I need to hear God. Stealing it. Stealing <laughs> it. Okay. Um podcast. Other than uh this podcast, what what mm-hmm. podcast are you listening to, if any? Um, I listen to my, my big brother. I have a big brother named Mr. Brian Bearfield. And his podcast is called Attention to Orders. He was, um, I've grown, I grew up with Brian in the church and in the house. And he, um, he went to the military. He and his, his, his wife, who is uh, uh, now passed away, but, um, they were in the military together and he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to a lot of different stuff. And he has a lot of opinions when it comes to a lot of different things as well. But that's what, that's what podcast is for is to get it out. But he also, he is very good at fact checking. So he's going to do his research and he's going to back up whatever it is he feels and his opinions. He's going to try to have that research and that backup to, um, to support his, his ideas. Yeah. So He's a good dude. He talks about everything from sports to political uh, politics to 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 whatever. Whatever it's on your it's on your menu, he's probably touched on it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Attention to orders, Big Sarge. Brian yeah. Bearfield. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's going on my list as well. <laughs> this is what I do. This is what I do with my guests. I just steal all of their stuff. Yeah, listen, if you're not stealing, you're not trying. Uh, you know, I'm I'm putting it in my in my in my toolkit. <laughs> yeah. Good. If you ain't strange. Right. Now, this next segment is rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you five random questions. Think of it kind of like a freestyle. So I'm going to ask you these questions. Whatever comes to the dome, just spit. Okay. Okay. I'm a little so one of my favorite questions. One of my favorite questions I like to start with. Describe the color yellow to a blind person. The color yellow... If I wouldn't have to describe it to a blind person, I would say, um, imagine the flavor of orange juice. The flavor of orange juice is the color yellow. Okay. Okay. That's different. Mm-hmm. That's different. I've gotten some interesting answers for that one. Uh, that's different, though. I'm, I'm sitting here like, dang, I need to go buy some orange juice and drink it. So, I, okay. All right, good. That's good. All right, if you could be from any decade or era, what would it be? Oh, I think it would be the early 
the late sixties or early seventies. Um, when the black Panthers were more prevalent, when our grandparents were going through, you know, uh, segregation and all of those times. And I think I would go back that far because, or back then, because, um, I think our parents shielded us from a lot when, once we were birthed uh, from that generation, they shield us from a, a whole lot in growing up. And so I think that a lot of the issues that we're facing today came from us being shielded. And the new generation is like, what the hell is all this? What, what is this, this racism? What is this? Yeah. What is this? You know, the, the sitting on our, the, the knees on our neck. What is this? Uh, systematic what is this all this oppression what is this we don't understand it but it's because we we were shielded and we didn't experience as much or we did but we kind of just suppressed it a yeah. little bit yeah. we suppressed it and we kind of kept it in the, in the dark mm-hmm. because our parents shielded us from so much of it and now this new generation is hitting them in the face yeah. like hard yeah. And they not for it. At all. And I, I'm with them. I love they it. They are not for it. And I'm with them, but I just wish that, that we had done more. You know, I wish that we had done more. So I, I, I think our parents had a good heart and a good mind in trying to keep us from feeling some of the stuff that they felt and dealt with. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it took away from us teaching this generation, the, the, the babies, teaching them exactly what they need to know about what they're now experiencing so that when it hit them as hard as it's hitting them. Where's the worst place you can get stuck? The worst place I can get stuck? Yes. Is in my mind. Ooh. Ooh. Drive yourself crazy, get stuck there. That's how people end up in a, in a mental institution. They get stuck in that dark space that will be the worst place and my biggest fear is getting stuck in a dark place dark space mentally yes okay that's good that's good random real random question how many keys do you have on your key ring keys two three three i have three yep my car key mailbox key house key that's it That's real good. All right, here we go. Last question. So, if you could win any award, what would it be and why? Any award. Um, I guess it would be some type of um, accolade from President Obama. Okay. Or no, his wife. The award is just any kind of any kind of accolade or yeah, or honor from President Obama and his wife or his wife. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a Michelle Obama fan. Um, yeah. you know, Barack, yeah, he cool, but Michelle, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a Michelle Obama fan. Okay, all right. So this last segment mm-hmm. is called "You Didn't Ask." You didn't ask. So years ago, my brother gave me this advice. 
And what he was telling me at the time was, you can't give people unsolicited advice. You just can't give people advice they didn't ask for because they don't listen. The ironic thing is, I didn't ask him for that advice. But it birthed this segment, which is entitled, You Didn't Ask. So what unsolicited advice would you like to share with our listeners for this segment called You Didn't Ask? This is unsolicited advice for parents. Parents, I am in education. I have no children. My children are your children, okay? Um, my advice to you is to fight the state test more. Like we talked about, Prejean and I have spoken about um, our parents equipping us to better speak out for things that we passionately passionately feel was right or wrong or felt is right or wrong. And these state tests are just money makers. That is all they are. Somebody is making money just to make these tests. And these tests are not for everybody. They are not for all students. They are not created equally for all students. Bush, when he was president, put into, um, into play the no, no Child Left Behind Act. But we're leaving kids behind with these tests. Think about it. It makes no sense. The state tests are not created for everyone. And honestly, because they're not created for everyone, they are a form of oppression and discrimination. Think about it. Yes. How many, what, what is the race of the kids that don't pass the test? What's the magnitude of the race of the kids that do not pass these tests? It ain't right. That's right. It ain't right. They're not the biggest in numbers. They are not the largest in numbers. And this test now dictates whether a student graduates high school. It doesn't matter how, they, how well they did in class. They could have passed the class. We have kids, I teach high school. We have kids that pass the class and cannot pass the test. What sense does that make? They've done all the work needed to pass the class in order to graduate, but because they cannot pass this test, they can't graduate. I've seen kids come back after completing high school, four and five years later, still trying to pass this state test in order to get a diploma. You can't tell me that's not discriminatory. It's not oppressive. Nothing you can tell me to make, can make me believe that these state tests are not discriminatory and not oppressive. Parents, you have to fight harder for your kids. Fight harder for your kids against this state test. They will, the state will listen to you because you're the one putting the kids in the school in order to give the state money to receive students that are sitting in these desks. Fighting harder for your kids. That's all. There it is. You didn't ask, but there it is. Corey Deanne Crampton, certified trauma practitioner for education. Thank you so much for your time. It has been an honor. Welcome to Thank the network. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you having me. Oh, this is my first podcast, too. My first uh, appearance. So I appreciate you, Mike Prejean, and the network. That's a wrap for this week's show. Thank you for joining us on the network. For more info on Corey Crampton, 
Make sure you check the show notes. You can find her recommended reads, recommended podcasts, recommended music. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. The Network Podcast on Instagram. The Network with Michael Prejean on Facebook. While you're at it, I'd appreciate it if you go over to iTunes, give the podcast a five-star rating, or simply share or tell a friend about the show. Every kind gesture helps us move in the right direction. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 11 with Terrell Robertson of Dig Deep Fitness. Terrell is a fitness guru. He's also a professional bodybuilder. So when you tune in, he's going to give us some cheat codes or should I say fitness hacks. Until next time, peace and blessings.